Turn your Bibles with me, Revelation 3. This is where we left off. In our verse-by-verse study together, Revelation chapter 3. I would encourage you to read ahead to, we're going to go to heaven next weekend. Chapter 4 and 5, can't wait. So awesome. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that, um, that heaven is our home. That's where we're headed. and That you're preparing a place for us even now. And it's all because of what you've done. Lord, you've done it all. We thank you for giving your life that we might have life. And you've made it so simple, Lord, that even a child can understand the good news. And so thank you. Thank you for your word this morning, for how you um, speak to our hearts and how you nourish us. You know exactly what each and every one of us needs to hear this morning, specifically. Lord, we know your word is always right on target, and so may we have soft and tender hearts before you to receive your implanted word with meekness, your word that is able to save our souls, to build us up, to strengthen us. And so, Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. And God, we pray for anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation, that they might open their heart to you, Lord. And so we thank you for the great things you're going to do this morning. And we commit this time to you now for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so we are at the seventh uh, church And we're looking at the seventh report card that we're given to the seven churches that we've been learning about. Remember, these seven churches um, were churches that existed during John the Apostle's day. And we also recognize that um, throughout church history, you can find yourself in any one of these seven churches corporately or individually. We can find ourselves spiritually in one of these seven churches. And this morning... This is a church you do not want to be involved with, not only corporately, but also individually. We do not want to be a Laodicean church, nor do we want to be Laodicean believers. What's interesting is every church was rebuked by Jesus except for two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia. Those are the two churches that we want to be in. There are no words in in this church, this letter, this report card, there are no words of commendation that Jesus gives to the Laodiceans. Well, let's look at this because we want to please the Lord, don't we? We want to be a church that that pleases Jesus. And so we've studied through, we find out what, what pleases the Lord, what displeases Him, correct? Have we found that out, you guys, together as we've gone through? And so, yeah, so we want to be a church that pleases Jesus, and he helps us to understand. Because there's lots of people out there that say this is a successful church, or that's a successful church. Well, we want to know what Jesus says is a successful church. And so, here's what God's Word says. Revelation 3, verse 14, we're told in God's Word, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And of course, that's Jesus. And he says to the church, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. 
So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame, and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let me draw your attention first to verse 14. Again, this is a familiar, it's a familiar outline for each one of these letters, correct? It follows kind of the same pattern. And so we're told who it's given to, this letter, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Again, angel, we find that word in the New Testament, it's used for a messenger. And so it can either mean a ministering spirit or it can mean a physical minister. I believe, and it's my own opinion, that this letter was given to the lead pastor of the church, the one that was responsible to communicate the truth of God's word um, faithfully to the flock. And so it's given to him. And notice there's a church that's there in Laodicea. This is not the first time that we read about the church of the Laodiceans. We also find in the letter that Paul wrote to the uh, Colossians, he had mentioned uh, writing to these people earlier. And so they've got a history with the Apostle Paul. The church may have been birthed out of that time when the Apostle Paul was in Ephesus. We're told the word of God spread out from from Ephesus throughout all of modern-day Turkey. And so churches were being planted. An amazing work of God was happening. But let me, let me just kind of make an observation here. Notice it says the church of the Laodiceans. Every other letter is written to the church in Philadelphia, in Sardis, in Thyatira, and so on and so forth. This is written to the church of the Laodiceans. Well, why is that important to, just to kind of observe? Because that word Laodicea means people rule or people are in charge. So Jesus, it's interesting to me that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, we hear that as an as a evangelical plea, don't we? And it is. When, when someone's sharing, Jesus is knocking on your heart's door. If you open up, he'll come in and you can be saved and have a relationship. But this is written to a church. And Jesus is saying, You think I'm in the middle of your church? but I'm actually outside. I want to come into your church. You're operating independent of me. You're ruling, you're leading. In other words, who should be on the throne or who should be ruling the church? Jesus should, right? He's the senior pastor. He's the one who should be ruling and leading and guiding his flock. That's why it's so important that we look to him, to his word. And so this church, and that's also interesting too, when he gives the promises to the overcomer, he promises that they'll come and sit with him where? 
on his, on his throne. The problem was they were sitting on the throne, sitting on the throne of their own lives. They were sitting on the throne of the church. They were ruling. They, the people were ruling and leading. What's interesting is about Laodicea, again, Jesus uses key insights about these cities to bear spiritual truths, to bring spiritual truths um, to light that would be familiar with the people in that city. What do I mean by that? We've looked at this before, but for this city, it was 40 miles from Philadelphia. We learned last week that Philadelphia, there were lots of earthquakes. Guess what hit here? Lots of earthquakes. Why is that important? Because one of the earthquakes that hit, I can't remember what year it was, but it wiped out the city. And this is a very wealthy city, lots of money. And what happened was Rome wanted to help. They wanted to help rebuild the city, kind of like when we have a hurricane here. People want to help rebuild, right? You guys remember that happened? <laughs> lots of people wanted to help and pitch in and, and be involved in the recovery efforts. Rome wanted to help this city. But you know what they said? We, are not, we don't want any help. We're rich and we are in need of Nothing, just like Jesus says to this church. Also, there was a very famous uh, black wool that came from this city, and it would beautiful black garments would come from this wool. Ladies like basic black, right? Isn't that good? Isn't basic black good, ladies? Isn't that a cool like? Yeah. So that they, so that was one of their famous items that came from this place. And Jesus talks to them about, listen, spiritually, you're in need of you're in need of being covered. Oh, you have these nice clothes, these nice things, but really, you're naked. You're naked, poor, and blind. Even though you have all of this wealth, all these amazing clothes, and not just that. There's one other thing. There's two other things actually. In this city, there was this eye ointment that was developed. They had a famous ophthalmology, ophthalm, is that what it is? You guys know what I'm saying. Something like that. Eye place. <laughs> but they had this eye salve, this eye ointment that was world famous. People would use for different types of eye conditions. That's why Jesus says, come, and, come to me and buy from me eye salve that you may really be able to see. And not just that, they had a water problem there. There was a water problem in this city. And so what they did, since they were lacking in water, they piped in in aqueducts that hot water came from a city called Hierapolis, and cold water came from a city called Colossae, Colossians, Colossae, H, Hierapolis, hot, C, Colossae, cold. They piped in water, and by the time it got there, guess what temperature it was? Lukewarm. Again, Jesus using things from their city to communicate spiritual things that were happening in their lives. Isn't that interesting how he does that? Our, our Lord is uh, an amazing teacher, you guys. And he identifies himself how? Number one, as the what? What does it say? Verse 14, second part of the verse. He, Jesus identifies himself, number one, how? The amen. And again, in the beginning of these report cards, in the beginning of these letters, he says something about himself, usually from chapter one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? John was on the Isle of Patmos, saw Jesus, right, in all of his beauty, all of his splendor. And Jesus typically takes things that were from that revelation to remind the church about things they had forgotten and needed to be reminded of, or it might be something fresh, some fresh insight concerning Jesus. He is the amen. What does amen mean? So be it, right? That's right. What else does amen be? Most assuredly, verily, verily, right? It also means that's the truth. 
for certain, for sure. Remember, Jesus often began his, his monologues or dialogues, the things he shared. He would say, verily, verily, I say unto you. In other words, he's saying amen. This is the truth before I even say it. I'm putting the amen up front. Verily, verily, I say unto you. And the idea is, do not overlook this, what I'm saying to you, or you will miss the point. Verily, verily. All, and I love that song we just sang. All of God's promises are what? Yes and amen. Jesus also identifies himself how? As the faithful and, what does your Bible say? Faithful and True witness. Jesus alone gives fully reliable and completely accurate testimony. You guys, that's what a witness does. A witness testifies, right? Jesus gives us fully reliable, completely truthful information, testimony. He doesn't change, nor does his message change, you guys. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but not his words. His words are eternal. He is the faithful and true witness. He is dependable, you guys. And he's reminding this church, this was a church that was wishy-washy. We're going to see in just a moment. Their lives not governed by the conviction of the scriptures. They were spiritually unreliable, this church. And their decisions were not based upon the truth of the word of God any longer. And so the third thing Jesus says about himself is what? The beginning of the creation of God. That word beginning, check this out. It means source, agent, originator, or initiator. So Jesus is not saying, I'm a created being or I'm the first of created beings. Jesus is saying, I am the source, the agent of creation. I am the originator of creation. In other words, I know what I'm talking about, he's saying. We're told in Colossians that all things were created by him and for him. Jesus created all things. All things are created for him, by him, and for... That means you. Are you created by him? That means you're for him, to have a relationship with him, to walk with him, to know him. And so he reminds the church of this. And then what Jesus knows. Look at the next verse, verse 15. What does Jesus know? What does he see? He says, I know your works. Jesus knows what we do, what we're involved in, whether bad or whether good. And what he's saying here is, I know what you got going on. Here is the analysis. Here is how I perceive your spiritual condition. Here's the reality of what's going on in your life. He says what? That you are neither cold nor hot. Is he speaking physically? Not a trick question, you guys. He's not speaking physically, like physically, like you're sweating hot or cold, like you're, like you're shivering. He's speaking how? Spiritually. He says, you're not one of these temperatures spiritually. And he said, I wish you were either one. I wish you were either cold or I wish you were either hot. Please don't miss this. this is, to me, this is frightening stuff this morning, what Jesus says. He says, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. A lukewarm spiritual condition makes Jesus sick to the point of vomiting. Remember, two water sources being piped in to the city. One hot, one cold. By the time it got there, it was lukewarm. You guys ever drink lukewarm water like out of a hose after you're doing yard work? You do yard work, you go to that hose, you pick it up, and, and you take that first, how's it taste? Pretty good? 
you spit it out because it's nasty, right? It's gnarly. Or lukewarm milk. Anybody ever drink milk that's been sitting around for, around the house? You're kind of like, yeah. <laughs> Makes you sick. And Jesus came for something refreshing, but it was nauseating. You drink something lukewarm, it's lost its usefulness, it's lost its purpose. And Jesus says, with respect to your spiritual condition, I wish you were hot. What does it mean to be hot spiritually? On fire. Yeah, you're passionate for Jesus. You're in love with Him, your will is submitted to His. You're seeking Him, you're serving Him, you're surrendered and yielded to Him. Or cold. Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold. And you read that, and you kind of think like, well, wouldn't a little warm be better than cold? And Jesus says, no. He says, no. At least the person that's cold knows where they stand with Jesus. And guess what? If you're cold, you're against God. And the thing about it is that person knows where they stand. They know their position. And what's good about that is the Holy Spirit can still minister to them, convicting them of sin, righteousness, judgment to come in their lives. They know where they're settled. But Jesus says, because you are, what does your Bible say? Because you are lukewarm. In other words, you have just enough to feel like you're okay. You're you're okay. You're good with God. I'm good with God. I got just enough church, just enough religion. And what happens is you're just going through the motions. You're lukewarm. And God has so much for you. He's done so much for you. He has so much for you. And you could care less. You could care less. And so Jesus says to this church, you're not on fire for God. You're not against God. You just don't care. And he says, what? I'm going to expel you from my mouth. What is a lukewarm person? What is someone that is lukewarm spiritually because if jesus says this that is a dangerous place a dangerous condition to be in i think perhaps a person who thinks they're saved a person who maybe has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof maybe also a person that knows about jesus but doesn't know him personally maybe a backslider maybe How about someone that was once hot, but now you're not? Or how about all of the above? Jesus says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Can you imagine when that was read? It's kind of like when it was read right now. You can hear a pin drop. You know, I've been reading this week and studying this. Can you imagine the pastor who allowed that to happen? What was happening in that church? What was he teaching? What was he sharing? How did he allow that to get there in ministry? I can tell you how. You know what happens? The pastor begins to think, I may lose people, we may lose people in the church if I preach the word. If I share the, full, the whole truth, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, I'm going to lose people, we're going to lose people. And so what begins to happen? He begins to dumb down the word, dilute the word, shave the word manipulate the word listen to make people feel they're okay with god when they're really not that's frightening and that's what was happening the church became a social club the truth of god's word was not affecting the way they lived the passion was gone listen it is a sad thing it is a tragedy when your passion leaves your life when passion's gone from your life it anybody ever seen somebody like that it is sad 
It's a tragedy. And so Jesus reveals their true spiritual condition. What happens when you vomit? I don't mean to gross you out before the good treats across the way and the great picnic coming up. But what happens, think about this with me, what happens when you vomit? You are expelling something from your body that what? Doesn't belong. So if that's the case, how do you get there? How do you keep it from happening? Listen, I think it's really simple. Sometimes we make things super complicated. How do you keep a fire going? Keep feeding it. Keep giving it wood. How do you keep a cold drink cold? You keep adding ice to keep making it more and more cold, right? The same thing is true spiritually. If you have no input spiritually, you will grow lukewarm. Are you with me? If you are not spending time reading your Bible and praying, you're going to grow lukewarm. And Jesus gives, how do I protect myself from that? Jesus gives us the example in all things, doesn't he? Mark chapter 1, Jesus found a quiet place with a quiet heart at a quiet time to spend time alone with the Father, to get alone to pray. Are you with me this morning? We are in desperate need of God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Spending time reading your Bible and praying. Spending time intimately with the Lord. Hearing, remember Mary and Martha? You guys remember that story? Mary chose the good place right at the feet of Jesus, right? Martha was freaking out. But, but Mary chose that place. That, that, listen, that place is for every one of us, guys. It's been blood-bought. It's the most important piece of real estate on the entire earth. Not Maui, not, not the mountains, not the Bahamas. The most important piece of real estate in your life is right there at the feet of Jesus, and it's totally portable. You can take it anywhere. You can be in your car, in school, in, in your house, no matter where you are, to be at the feet of Jesus. How else can you keep from cooling off? How else can I stay hot? Is by staying in fellowship. It's by not forsake, the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, as is the manner of some, as you see the day approaching. You know what that means? It means staying, coming to church, staying plugged in, staying serving Jesus. Listen, when you're not here, no one benefits from your life. And you have gifts and callings on your life that God wants to use to minister to one another, to use those gifts for the edifying of the body of Christ, to build up the body of Jesus Christ. Are you with me this morning? Like 75, 50% of the room. Anybody cook with charcoal briquettes still? Good job, man. I didn't see any girl, any gals too? Yes, I see Anna. Thank you. If you ever cook with charcoal briquettes and you take one briquette out, you notice how quickly that thing cools off. You pull it out, you can like start juggling with it right? a couple minutes later because it cools off so fast. But if you put it right back in the fire, it gets hot again, right? Once it gets put right back in the fire. When you're out of fellowship, you're going to cool off. When you're out of church, when you're out of contact with your brothers and sisters, you will cool off. But the, what's the cure? To come back into fellowship, to stay in fellowship, to be consistent in seeking the Lord. We're to seek the Lord together with all of those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. We're all to seek him, to dig deep like we're doing this morning, digging deep into his word and fellowshipping and spending time worshiping the Lord. Well, Jesus reveals, their, look at verse 17. Jesus reveals their condition. Because you say, I am rich 
have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Notice that. What's the issue taking place in the heart of a Laodicean believer? You know what it is? It's self-deception. It's self-deception. In other words, Jesus says, this is what you've been saying to yourself over and over. This is what you've been replaying in your mind over and over and over again. Listen, it's not a sin to be wealthy this morning. Are you with me? It's not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to be in a place where God is blessing you materially. It is a sin when your possessions start to possess you. It's a sin when you start looking to those things instead of looking to God. How do you, how do you become self-deceived <clears throat> this morning? How does that happen? It happens incrementally, you guys. Do you know that? Slowly drift, slowly incrementally. You know, you know what happens? Let me tell you what happens. You consider things contrary to God's word and you allow them to develop in your mind. You no longer think the way you used to. You begin to think before how when you were not born again, when you were not walking with the Lord, you start to think that way. And day by day, you leave things unchecked in your heart and in your mind by the word of God in prayer. And what happens after a while, we never see the reality of our own hearts, you guys. Because the word of God does what? It, it searches our hearts, doesn't it? The word of God searches our hearts and divides between that which is soulish and that which is spiritual. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of my heart. You lose sight of your true condition, believing your own lies. Guys, that's a scary place to be. These people were, were, were thinking that they were okay. And Jesus is outside the church knocking. He's outside. They were so, listen, they were so jacked up they even said, look what it says at the end of that, end of that thing, it's end of that phrase. He says, I have need of nothing. You know what you're saying when you say that? I don't need Jesus. And apart from him, I can do what? Nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do, we need him. I don't know about you, the longer I walk with the Lord, I realize how much more and more I need him. I'm more dependent upon him. Not less dependent upon him. I am more dependent upon Jesus for everything. Scary. Their actual condition, Jesus said what? You, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's it's so interesting to me. Uh, someone that's a lukewarm person, that number one, they're wretched. You know what that means, wretched? It means calloused. It means calloused. You guys ever get calluses? Anybody get calluses? Yeah, we get calluses from like, I don't know, if you're like shaving carrots maybe, you do a lot of that. I used to get them from baseball, hundreds of swings every day. You get calluses built up and what begins to happen? There's no, there's no feeling, right? There's no sensitivity. What happens with a lukewarm believer or a lukewarm person? There's a callousness in your heart that begins to build up. It gets harder and harder and harder. And notice he says the next thing. He says, you're miserable. You know what that means? You're in desperate need of mercy. You're, you're pitiable. In desperate need of mercy. What begins to happen when your heart gets calloused? You begin to be, you begin to be a person that's unmerciful towards others. That's what happens. When we are in aren't we in desperate need of his mercy? Does anybody need a fresh batch of his mercies tomorrow? <laughs> I am. He says, you're poor. You're spiritually bankrupt. 
Again, apart from Jesus, we're living in total poverty. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, you're blind. The, that, that blows me away. The lukewarm person is blind. You know what that means? You're not seeing things for what they really are. The, the reality is, you're spiritually blind. And you're naked. You're without proper clothing. You're spiritually naked. Oh, you know, they were on fire for something. They were hot. You know what they were hot for? They were hot for their money. They were hot for that, making money. But hot for the wrong thing, for the wrong things. And things aren't always what they appear to be. They had a good appearance, just enough religion, just enough church to make them feel like they were right with God when they weren't. And you know what the tendency is for us to say? We read this. Well, I'm not a Laodicean believer. I'm okay. Rather, rather, Lord, is there any of this in my heart personally? Lord, search my heart. Is there any lie in my life where I'm being self-deceived? Lord, help me. And if so, if yes, guess what? That's okay. You've come to the right place. If yes, Lord, help me navigate out of this right now, right here. Because our God is so good. Isn't Jesus so good? He doesn't just give the prognosis and the diagnosis. He gives a prescription how to get back on track. What does he say? Verse 18, I counsel you. I got some counsel for you, some spiritual counsel. And he says you need to buy three things. Does that mean I need to, I need to work for my salvation and pay it off? No, but listen, it will cost you dearly. Why? Because you have, to, you have to repent. You have to give up your pride, your selfishness, and your independence. Oh, it will cost you to purchase this. What's it going to cost you? Your pride, your selfishness, and your independence. Look what he says. Very simple. He says, let's do business. Buy for me gold refined in the fire. What's gold refined in the fire like? Is it good? It's good. It removes all what? Impurities, all the junk. Buy from me pure gold that you may be what? Rich. Jesus wants you to be rich in faith, you guys. Number one, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wants us to have genuine faith, but he also wants, to, wants us to have something else. He also wants us to have genuine works, you guys. Genuine works. He wants us to have genuine stuff that we're doing for him in our lives that brings him glory. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in Guys, still with me? Treasures in where? Your backyard? Your garage? Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's awesome. You guys know it. Jesus is saying, listen, if you know it, do it. Store up those treasures in heaven. Good works motivated by love for Jesus and for others. Then he says the second thing to buy, what is it? White garments, pure robes to cover you. Why? That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed so that you're not going to be embarrassed. 
and full of shame that you'll be properly covered. Jesus says you're spiritually naked. You are in need of covering. How do I get clothed with white garments? Well, it's simply by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. It tells us, I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah 61. Can I read it? Thank you. I didn't wait for an answer. Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? Why are you so stoked, Isaiah? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. That's simply by faith, you guys. He covers you with a robe of righteousness. Listen, your robe is not better than my robe. My robe is not better than your robe. There's one robe of righteousness we get. So we can't go comparing robes with one another. But Jesus says, this is what you need. You need true righteousness. And then he says that your eyes would be anointed. You need an anointing from the great physician. Why? That you may be able to see spiritually. That your sight would be restored. That the self-deception would be lifted. That the, that the scales would fall from your eyes. That you would be able to see clearly. And it's only the Lord, it's only His work that enables us to see spiritually, you guys. He's the one who opens the eyes of the blind spiritually, correct? He's the one who restores sight to the blind. Those that have lost their vision. Maybe you're listening this morning, you're lukewarm. You've lost your sight spiritually. Your sights are set on something else. And the Lord's ministering to your heart right now because He loves you. He's going to say that in just a minute. You've lost your sight. You need to come back to Jesus to, ha- to do business with him this morning. Don't, don't be full of pride and leave this place without doing business with Jesus. I beg you. I beg you this morning. I plead. I beseech you this morning. It's not an accident you're here listening. The Lord loves you so much and you're headed on a path for wipeout. You get your eyes back upon him. You come back. It's so simple. He doesn't go anywhere. He's there knocking. He doesn't do like ding-dong ditch, bring and run. <laughs> do they still do ding-dong ditch, you guys? You know, I'm talking about the people that ring your doorbell and run and they go hide. He ain't going to do that. He's knocking right here at your heart. The problem is if you harden your heart, the door gets thicker and thicker and thicker. It gets faint. The knock gets fainter and fainter. The harder you get, the more calloused you get, the more dug in you are. That's not me. I'm not a lady to see in. I go to church. I do my thing. Listen, you're lukewarm, man. You're lukewarm. And Jesus gives us, look what he says. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Aren't, is that amazing to you guys? That is amazing. It's amazing to me that Jesus loves this church. He says, you, you failed in love, you failed in faith, but I love you, I have not forsaken you. As many as I love, I tell the truth to. Isn't that beautiful? No? It's beautiful to me. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. He is faithful. Those are some heavy words he's sharing. Heavy things he's saying, and it's all a demonstration of God's love. I think that's amazing. So he says, therefore, in light of that, be what? What do you guys' Bible say? Be what? Zealous. Be hot as a lifestyle. Be passionate. Don't wait till everything gets stripped away from you. Be quick to repent. Be, be quick to change directions immediately. I am learning spiritual, real spiritual maturity. You know what it is? 
It's, it's the time between when you sin and when you repent grows smaller and smaller and smaller. You realize, you know what, I'm lukewarm. I need to repent right now. I need to have a change of heart, change of mind, change of direction right now. I just blew it with my attitude over here. I need to re- confess and repent right now. I blew it with my actions over here. I need to confess and repent. Keep a short account with God. You want to grow up and mature, keep a short account with the Lord. Listen, and he said, be zealous. What are you passionate about this morning? Just let that kind of wash over you. What are you passionate about? What are you, tomorrow morning, what are you going to wake up thinking about? Going after, seeking after. The next day, next week, are you seeking after Him? Digging deep into His Word? Are you passionate about Jesus? If not, you're growing lukewarm. And, Jesus, and we have the capacity to be zealous. He said it. Be zealous. Be on fire. Repent. Be, listen, be passionate about Jesus and watch what He'll do in your life. It's going to be awesome. You know, I had a guy one time tell me, Pastor, or he didn't say Pastor, Mike, you know, you're too on fire for Jesus. You need to, you need to calm it down, dude. You need to simmer down, boy. I'm, I, felt like, I felt like I wanted to say, get behind me, Satan. I didn't. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, check out what it says in Revelation about lukewarm, what Jesus says. Go read that. I don't ever want to cool off. I don't know what that means exactly, but to rid the body of something that, Jesus rids his body of something that doesn't belong because it's lukewarm, stay away from me, lukewarmness. I want to stay on fire, stay close to Jesus as possible, to be zealous for him. And he's knocking on the door this morning. He's not going to strong arm you. He's not going to force himself upon you. But what is he saying here? He's outside. He's saying, I'm not in the house. I'm not in the house. Your independence has pushed me out of your life. Your independence as a church has pushed me out of the church. And I'm, I'm on the outside. I want to come back in. I'm right here. I'm waiting. If you hear me speaking, we, I will come in and we're going to dine together. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Remember, in that culture, when you ate a meal together, it was symbolic of your lives you, you being united together. That's why the Pharisees tripped out on Jesus. What's he doing eating with those scumbags? Remember that? He didn't say those words, but what's he doing eating with sinners, right? Tax collectors. Because when you do that, you are uniting life together. But how else is he going to reach them? How else is the great physician going to reach those who are sick? Correct? So when you, eat, when you eat bread together, when you broke bread together, it was symbolic. Some kind of mystical experience. of You, you dip in the, the, the salsa, I dip in the salsa, we eat out of the same salsa. The same, same salsa's in you, it's in me, we're united together. That's the idea. We're going to take communion this morning. That's the whole thing of taking communion. We're reminded of who we're connected to because of what he did for us and who he is. Not only are we connected intimately with Jesus in a relationship, but intimately with one another as well as a family. We're reminded of that. That's what the Lord wants, is that intimate fellowship. They didn't have like McDonald's back then, you know, just get a sack of burgers, eat them real fast and bolt. I'll FaceTime you later, man, or I'll text you later. It was, you'd sit around for hours or lay around for hours, right? They had that triclinium. You guys remember that thing they laid down on to eat dinner? I'm still begging Tanya, please, can we get one of these? Just eat, pass out right there. <laughs> but there'd be hours spent breaking bread together, fellowshipping together. That's what Jesus wants. 
intimacy, relationship, fellowship, communion, connection with you, real, not phony, not hypocritical. And he says, I'm knocking. And then this beautiful, I love this, a promise to the one that overcomes this serious deficiency. What does Jesus say? Jesus will share his throne with you. They'd been sitting on the throne of their own lives. And it says, Jesus says, as, don't miss this phrase, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. How did Jesus overcome? So important. He trusts he trust and obey. His will surrendered to the Father's will. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Listen, how are you going to overcome? How are you going to be an overcomer? How are you going to be a conqueror? It's not saying my will get done, but Father, your will be done. What a beautiful promise to sit with him on his throne. Parents, don't you love when your kids come and sit with you? Even when they're older, I got Sloan home from college right now. I love sitting with her, with all of them. Luke crawling up, jumping up on the couch with me. It's, 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 there's intimacy. Again, there's relationship, closeness. Again, that's what we're going to have for all eternity with him. And if it's not happening now, it needs to happen now. That closeness with him. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Take heed. Take heed this morning. Make those adjustments that are necessary as the Holy Spirit has prompted you perhaps this morning. Maybe it's simply to say, Lord, I love you. I'm on fire. Help me stay here. Lord, <laughs> keep the fire burning. I will stay close to you. But maybe you've grown lukewarm. This is a, listen, it's so good you're here. Before we come to the communion table, you can make things right. Right here. You're cold this morning. You don't know Jesus personally. You open your heart to Him. He wants to forgive you and save you. He died for you. He died on the cross for your sins, suffered, died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And he's offering you life right here, right now, in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you.